Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. We are going to take some time this morning to sort of bring to conclusion the series that we've been in for a little while now, but we've been calling Unstuck. And through this whole series, we've been talking about the um, path of spiritual formation, moving from one thing towards another, a more healed version of something, um, all in the path of continuous growth that we get to experience more and more into the very image of Christ, into Christ-likeness. And sometimes the journey of spiritual formation, wherever you are in it, whether you've been on a path with the Lord for many, many years or are just new to faith, wherever you are, the fact is that spiritual formation can feel a little bit like two steps forward, three steps back, or maybe four steps forward and then nothing for a long time. It can happen with that. Um, but we grow with the help of the Spirit, of course. That's what we're talking about. It's not a self-help series, but, but it can feel slow. And it takes a willingness to even know and believe that formation and fuller healing can happen. I love the imagery in throughout Scripture, really, but one, one place is Isaiah 64, verse 8. But now, Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. All of us are the work of your hand. I don't know if you've ever played with play. I saw just Play-Doh at Target yesterday and even thought of that. You don't have to be a really excellent at ceramics to know, but if you've ever worked at all with clay, you know how it goes. It's, it's um, lumpy mess. You form it, and then it does something wonky, you have to kind of reshape it and work it out again, and it's messy. But there's change. You build it back up and redo and, and, and form it in, in a really tangible um, and messy way. And so I love that imagery more than just the, the idea of a clay and potter. But if you really have, have felt that tangible work of working with clay, you know that, that that imagery is actually a really beautiful example of how our God works with us in a journey of spiritual formation. Because we don't want to give up along the way with the lumpy messes, right? Because there is formation that is happening. There's something actively being formed. But unlike the clay, we do actually have an active role. And that's some of what we've been talking about, is participation with the Holy Spirit in the willingness and even the belief that formation can happen. And we have to consider what it is that, that the Holy Spirit would prompt in us. As we've listened in this series to conversations like uh, uh, changing thought patterns. What is our role and the Spirit's role in having a reconciled thought life or a healthy thought life? Or maybe actually listening to divine listening for uh, God's direction or encouragement to us. Or maybe last week, like Brandon was talking about, what, what, is the, what is this reconciling of a relationship and no longer allowing neglect? What are the things throughout the, the series? It was a lot, of, a lot of information coming at us, but what we wanted to do in all of it is acknowledge formation will happen. It, it is happening, no matter what. And so what we want to talk about is to be mindful of what it is that you allow to form you. That's through all of this. What are you going to allow to shape and form you? And then to make the decision to make space for that formation to happen. 
I think recently of an example, I shared a couple weeks ago how um, Andy and I, after we got COVID this last fall, just kind of, we just didn't feel good for a long time. And just in order to make things happen, we just, we weren't eating healthy, we weren't getting around, we had no time for anything and no energy for anything. And so a little while ago, we decided we had to make some changes and we started with some really cumbersome food decisions. And so every day I had to have all of this time and these ingredients and these new ingredients and all of that. And I next, I just was, I, was, I don't have the time or the energy to do this, but every day we had decided to, and I had to. And after a couple of weeks, I realized every day that was one of my favorite spaces, the chopping, the measuring, the cutting, and the cooking. It felt creative. I just, I, I loved it. It was bringing me great joy. And I did have room in my life to do that. Not only did I have room, but it was a space that became a space of great joy and creativity for me. What, what happened? What came first, the discipline or the joy? Sometimes we have to make the space for something first, and that's just a silly little example with cooking, but we have to make the space to allow something to take root in our lives before the joy comes. So we started this series talking about uh, a story within the Gospel of John of healing. It was in John chapter five, five, do you remember it? The lame man had been by the pool that they believed would bring healing for 40 years. And Jesus approached him with a question and said, do you want to get well? We started out the series with that story. And then we really got thematic for a while, which is not how we usually preach not as often here at Missio Day. We usually get deep into a passage uh, in a book or a book of scripture and we stay there for a while. But but we focused in this moment on like this question, do you want to get well? And we talked about this spiritual formation into something healthier. And so for the end of this series, I thought, what better way to end but to stare right back at Jesus in another story of healing, the healing recorded in John chapter 9. Before we read it, I want you to listen for a couple things throughout this story. Number one, this is a story of Jesus healing, giving sight to a blind man. And what we see in this story is both physical and spiritual healing happening on two different yet simultaneous paths. And because the spiritual healing from blindness to seeing is happening on one and the, and the spiritual awakening is happening on another, they emphasize one another. And they actually are also emphasized by the fact that this story contrasts the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees who have their physical sight. So anyway, all of this is to emphasize the, the way that these things sort of are going together. And we're gonna do something else that's a little bit different. This isn't, again, how we usually do it. But this time, we're going to, there's a lot of different ways that you can allow scripture to form you and shape you. And one is to just spend time through one passage. And so, unlike usual where we, we will talk about, a, we'll read a passage and then we'll preach from that, this time we're really gonna get into this passage and we're gonna let this story preach itself, so to speak. So um, we're gonna just read through chapter nine bit by bit and allow this story to show us something really important within the conversation around spiritual formation. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Quick note here. We see that Jesus saw him. He had compassion on him. He approached him without being solicited. 
when that's important, because we remember in the beginning, John, uh, Jesus was the one who approached the man and said, do you want to get well? Jesus saw him. This man wasn't approaching Jesus at all. Throughout the Gospel of John, here's something else I want us to listen to. John uses a lot of imagery around lightness and darkness, with Jesus, of course, as the light of the world, and the darkness could not overcome it. But the, So the lightness and darkness is very much... Um, uh, compared with this, with the blindness in sight. And so this imagery is really powerful and important. But they stop here and they ask a question that's important for us to know because it's a cultural assumption. This man bl born blind, nothing had happened to him to take away his sight. He was born this way. So it must be that there was a sin involved, either his own or that of his parents. That was a cultural assumption that a sin would lead to a defect. Um, and Jesus says that neither of these things are true. So that's where we pick up in verse 3. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. And then Jesus does a kind of strange thing. Then he spit on the ground made mud with saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. This is interesting, talking about the gritty feeling of actually working with clay, right? If you pause and consider this moment, especially as this blind man who has not approached Jesus, this is a very strange moment. We also know that, that Jesus can, can heal with a word. So what is this moment? We can't know for sure, but I want to say that there's something really interesting that you notice right away here. For Jewish people, saliva was unclean in the world, not of like dirty or clean, but of, of pure, holy, or unpure. So the cleanliness culture was very important. Saliva was not on the cleanly list, nor was dirt. These things were very unclean. And so Jesus goes and mixes saliva with dirt. And we see him engaging as the light of the world with a man who has lived in utter darkness his entire life and has probably been assumed, we just heard from the disciples' question, he's been assumed to be unclean for reasons that they don't know. But this defect must have meant something was unclean about this man. So he probably is perceived to have this uncleanliness because of the congenital disability. And he, this moment, I believe, is Jesus walking right up to and into all things perceived unclean and emphasizing he is not afraid of unclean. Not only will the lightness overtake the dark, but his cleanness overcomes anything unclean. And that's who Jesus is. He has no fear. And he's been sent by the Father, and now he is going right into this space in a tactile, dirty way. And so this physical healing has happened. Now, with the physical healing path in this strange way having taken place, now let's watch for the spiritual transformation because it is not as quick or as complete. So verse 8, his neighbors and others who used to know him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar, the man himself, kept saying, yes, I, it's me. I'm the same one. They asked, who healed you? 
What happened? And he told them, the man, the man they called Jesus, he made mud. He spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and I washed and, and now I can see. So pause here for just a moment. This first moment for this man, the man they called Jesus. Who did this? The man, that, that, that Jesus guy that people have been talking about. He was the one who did this. So they asked, where is he now? I don't know, he replied. So they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. Now that is a no-no. You could only do like emergency work. If something urgent had happened, this, this man had been blind his whole life, and if you wanted to heal him, that would be lovely, but there's absolutely no rush to do so on the Sabbath, and so this would be very upsetting to the Pharisees. So the Pharisees asked the man all about it, so he told them. He put mud over my eyes, and then I washed it, and I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. And then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? And the man replied, I think he must be a prophet. So here's an escalation, right? It's the man they called Jesus. Well, this was a really big deal. This is how I imagine it in his head. Something big, maybe he must be a prophet. That's my opinion of this man. He's not, a, he's a man, but he's, he's a prophet. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had, that, that believe the man had been blind and could now see. So they called in his parents. They, the the um, validation from multiple witnesses was very important. So we needed, we, we're not trusting this story at all. We need witnesses we need to know. And they asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can, we now, how can he now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Asked him, he is old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. They witnessed this miracle, but were so fearful that he ba they basically said, we're not going to stand as witnesses to this event. Ask him, he's old enough. So for the second time, they called in the man who'd been born blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. And the man said, I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind and now I see. I'm not sure about him, but this is what happened. I am standing behind my testimony and there was a miracle. This I will say again and again. I know this. But how did he, what did he do? They asked, how did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Probably not the best thing to ask rhetorically to this particular group. But he's saying, let me be honestly at this point, who are you and what happened? How many times have they asked him the same thing? This is what I know. This has happened. Why do you keep asking me the same thing? So they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. And we just feel in this moment like kind of a 
slow burn awakening in this man as he's standing there just repeating the truth of the testimony that he knows. He listens to their debate and suddenly seems to realize, hold up, he, he can't be a sinner. What's happening? Something is happening. So he says this, why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one's been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he could not have done it. You hear in his own words, he's coming to realize more and more of an awakening. So he started, this, the guy who did it, he's a man that they call Jesus. Then he says... He must be a prophet. He's a prophet, I'm thinking. And next he's saying here, he is a man from God. He can't not be from God. You can't call him a sinner. Look what just happened. And with that switch, that sort of theological, whoa, starting to open his own eyes, he's kicked out. That is definitely too much to say. So they, you were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue, which is ironic in a way not that they threw him out of the synagogue, but they say, are you trying to teach us? Because they've been asking him again and again, who are you? What happened? Who did it? And how did it cut? You asked me, and now I'm coming to realize, and I spoke it. I, I'm not trying to teach. I'm just answering what you said. And this is what I know happened. So they kick him out. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man. Note that again. Jesus is the one who approached. Jesus is the one who sought him out. He heard what was going on. So he sought after the man and he asked, do you believe in the son of man? Again, like we've talked about, draws him in with a question, engages by making a conversation start. Do you believe in the son of man? And the man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. You have seen him. What a remarkable statement. That is, in this moment, this man has seen. He was born blind and is only seen for a short time. And in that time, what has he seen? He's seen neighbors who have watched him his whole life, denying it's even him. He's seen his parents not ready to stand up and say this. Has anyone hugged him yet? Has anyone said, this is amazing, What good news, you can see. Has he seen anyone smile at his good news of having gained sight? I don't know if he's seen a smile yet. And now he's sit here because Jesus has sought after him and he sees the compassionate, loving face of Jesus looking at him. This man from God, you have seen the son of man. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said. And he worshiped. Jesus, this is the next progression now. I've seen, I came to believe you were the man from God, and now I have seen your face, your compassion, your presence, and I know that you are the son of man, the Messiah, the sent one. This slow burn awakening suddenly comes to full clarity. I have seen and I know. He is no longer in darkness, physically or spiritually, and immediately he responds in worship probably not singing, probably just ascribing to Jesus praise and glory and honor due to the realization of who he is, reverence. There's a beauty in this text here that I want to point out. 
this, this um, gospel, the gospel of John overall describes Jesus as the one who God sent, sent by God over 20 times. So the blind man was sent to a place that that, that pool was uh, the sent place. What was the name of it? I'm going to say it wrong, Siloam. And so he was sent to the pool by the one sent by God. And by doing this, we get to see in the, the irony is the wrong word, that we know that Jesus, the sent one, was the source of the healing, not the pool called sent, but that Jesus is the source of the healing. But why send the man there? I mean, he has mud on his face and he was blind. Why send him at all when Jesus could have healed again with a word? And I think this is the part I want to point out and really uh, just spend a moment reflecting on as we're in this story of healing and of formation that takes time. Two things. Number one, the spiritual formation process with Jesus is participatory. Jesus wants participation. And yes, there are moments of divine healing. Yes, that's true, but there's something tactile and dirty, gritty formation in this story that I love. Participate in the process of coming to having spiritual and physical sight. You are engaged with this movement from darkness to light. So number one, it's participatory. And number two, this work is a process. It's a process. It's in stages. He has immediate sight, but it took moments and pondering and being challenged and and it was slow now mind you not years and years but still in other moments we see people having spiritual revelation just like that and not needing to take time i love that the gospels include stories that even upon a miraculous healing someone just needs to mull needs some time needs process it's not always all at once light switch change because we want that sometimes. We want light switch change, but need to be ready for the formation to sometimes take time. Because the work happening in the journey is important. We see that with this man. Some of his revelation seems to come only when he's been challenged and when he needs to keep saying the same thing over and over again. The work happening in that was important to his own formation of his spiritual thoughts. And I feel... The tension of this, I feel like especially now, and I felt it a little bit honestly throughout this series, talking about formation, not only for us individually, but as a community. And what does it look like to be formed? And honestly, I think we're kind of exhausted with change and with all of the growth of anything. Even in light of things opening up, there's an exhaustion that happens. How many people have you talked to who are like, I can't wait to be together with people? I'm exhausted from being with people. There's social anxiety that's shifted and changed and we're excited to be around people and scared and frustrated with each other. Like it's, I feel all of this in a tangible, gritty way right now. So even the idea of forming into something else, it's like we want that. We want formation into better, but we're exhausted and we're kind of hesitant and doubting if anything is even real or normal or what does that even mean? And so it feels like kind of a weird, gritty time to even talk about some things of formation. And so that's why I wanted to end this series just with this reminder for us today. Trust the slow work of God. It's slow work, but it's beautiful work 
work in the physical things that are happening around us and in our city, but it still is, is happening in, in, in our life, in our anxiety, in our weariness, in our fatigue, in our development, in the spiritual journey that has for very, very many people felt exceptionally dry this last year. But trust the slow work of God. There's a French philosopher and Jesuit priest who is so much more eloquent than me. His name is Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. And I'm going to speak his words slowly over us. I want you to really let this sink in. Above all, trust the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. I know that's true of me. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We're impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. Yet it's the law of all progress that is made by passing through some stages of instability and that may take a very long time. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you and accept the anxiety, accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. Above all, trust the slow work of God, our loving vine dresser. The thing I love about that is just the acknowledgement of the anxiety that's in the incomplete the angst of feeling yourself in suspense. It's true. It's not what we all long it to be, and spiritual formation is that way. But we want to continue to choose the formation, to participate with the formation that the Holy Spirit is absolutely committed to continuing to do, even if it feels like one step forward, a half step back some days. So I want to leave us with a couple quick thoughts, and then Lucas and Michael are going to come up to lead us into response. I want you to just think about this for a minute. As you think about that, that gritty moment, the mud in the eyes, the slow burn of recognizing something and coming to a place of spiritual formation, what are some of the things that we can dedicate ourselves to the slow work of God? Number one, and Justine talks about this all the time. I just honor her voice in this moment. It's the word of God. Be in the word. Allow the word of God to do the spiritual formation. Some days will feel dry. It's true. But allow the word of God to dwell in you richly and do a formative work over time. We're formed by the word of God. Also, we're formed by prayer. That includes the angry prayers. Prayer is conversation with God. Allow yourself to be in a conversation as messy and yucky and ill-formed as it may be. Give time to the speaking, to the listening with the Lord. And then thirdly, what forms us? We're formed by the fellowship of believers. It's just true. Be in life with other people who are walking in a path and have grace for your messy and have love in your messy and give them that love and grace back in their messy. Because those are some things we're formed by, but what are we formed as? We, we are formed as more than ourselves. We are formed as a church into something that I believe with so much passion is compelling for a world that's feeling this mess, hearing about a mess of a church on the news. Can I just say that? I was lamenting this with a friend this weekend. How can this be what the world is seeing that church is about? 
But what do we get to form into, to show as a living witness about what good news really is about? The good news of Jesus. Uh, uh, this world is desperate for something hopeful, something healing, for grace, for love. And we get to be a place that is a living witness of the messy, real transformation that happens by the Spirit of God in and among us, even when that mess is still in process. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.